Hey, welcome back to the Living in Hope podcast. I'm your host, Josie, and hey, after a month off, I'm excited to be back here with you. And we've got some great stories to share. Today, we get to hear from Harley and Selim Suprint. Harley and Selim are actually from our church here at Camino Chapel. They were home on a short leave from the Haiti mission field, and John Getziger was able to pull them in for a great chat about what they are up to in Haiti. Their story begins with two young people from completely different worlds falling in love, and then it leads to an adventure of a lifetime, being called into the mission field of Haiti. You'll get to hear them share of God's amazing orchestration of details, directing their paths, adventures in trusting God and receiving his miraculous provisions. All right, let's just get right to their story. All right, welcome in today. I'm excited to have an opportunity to speak with Selim and Harley Suprin. And they are uh, with us here um, from Haiti, uh, which is where they normally reside. And I'm excited to hear their story. Uh, I think you guys will love it. I think they've got a lot to say and a lot of exciting things to share with us. And so I guess we'll just start by asking, uh, guys, tell us a little bit about yourselves. you know, where you are from both individually and, and, uh, and where you guys, uh, are with your growing family, you know, what is your ministry all about? Absolutely. So my name is Harley. This is Selim, as you said, and I actually grew up in the Stanwood Camino area, went to school here, church here at Camino Chapel, I met Selim here at the Young Adults Group, very handsome man across the room, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then we have a son, Rocky. He's a little over one year old, and he's just a busy, healthy, going little guy. Um, our ministry in Haiti, in particular, um, centers around where Selim grew up in Cap Haitian. He was raised in an orphanage um, at Ebok, and we are living very near to that spot. We're hoping to plant a church a discipleship-based church where we can really mentor people in what it means to follow Christ with their whole lives. Selim's a pastor, and he um, he felt called to go back to Haiti after Bible school and start this church. Okay, that's great. Uh, it's really good that, uh, you know, we've got somebody that, uh, you know, grew up right here and, and uh, gets connected with somebody from from Haiti and you guys get to go back there together. That's, that's such a great connection when we can have somebody from, uh, the community. Uh, when you have someone who's, uh, overseas working, uh, in a mission field to have that connection with somebody that actually is from the area, that's really cool. And by the way, just as an aside, I remember cause I'm old that you were actually in some of my classes, Harley. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's sure good. Was. They were good classes. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So I think some PE and some things like that. Um, Selim, you have a pretty interesting story in regards to kind of how you ended up in the Camino Chapel area because you started out obviously in Haiti. And then um, what was that kind of that connection to you ending up all the way up here in, you know, the cold Western Washington? So tell us a little bit about that. Um, Thank you, John, for having us again. Uh, We're so thankful that we could be part of this podcast. So thank you. Um, Like you said, my name is Selim Suprin and... um, Originally, I grew up in Haiti, and I remember it was probably uh, 
10 or 15 years ago um, when I was a young little boy growing up in Capetian. And first, I was like thinking about that. I need to find a way to make a living in life. And um, so I was started learning English and then I wanted to translate for the team that's coming with Pastor Mitch every year. And then I remember in 2007, that's when Franz and I, a buddy, and we decided we went and asked him. And then from there, I would say our um, friendship started every year with Pastor Mitch coming and then and soon later, that friendship developed where he ended up having kind of adopted me, grafted me in his family um, through a, I would say, a chain of advice because, you know, he was long distance, but I would say a mentor and a pastor just discipling me and helping me to understand, you know, um, the Christian life, you know, and what's my call in life and what God is teaching me. And through all that, and after I graduated from Capetian, and as my wife mentioned, that I grew up in an orphanage, and then I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. And when I told him about it, and then we prayed, and then so he ended up talking with Kimeno Chapel, and then the church family ended up helping me, came over here in 2013, okay. and then helping me went to Montana Bible College where I studied to become a pastor and I graduated with a emphasis in biblical studies and so that's the journey and now our goal is as we reside in Haiti is just to plant a church in Haiti to just disciple and um, young men and women to a church plant and kind of have like a holistic ministry where we're taking care of people and we're serving them and we train them, and then we send them out throughout Haiti. Okay, wow, that's that's uh, that's really interesting that that uh, you know you were able to have this experience from from growing up there. Um, you were t- you talked about Pastor Mitch, and uh, you know if if uh, if you know anything about Camino Chapel, he's been here a, a really long time. Um, one of the cool things that that you know sometimes when you take these short term mission trips. Um, that, that sometimes we, we have here an offer here at the chapel and other churches offer, um, you know, sometimes people talk about how, well, you know, you're there for a couple of weeks and then, and then you leave and what really happens in that meantime sort of thing. And obviously, um, because they continue to go back and they continue to make that connection with you, that's something that really had an effect on your life. I mean, yes, of course I would say, because, uh, you know, coming and keeping that close relationship, like, you know, texting, Facebook messages, where a way I would say specifically growing in Haiti in a church where pastors don't really discipling young men, you don't really have that, you know, connection, friendship, but to able, you know, have him as a friendship mentor and then that keep coming, develop that friendship, definitely making a lot of impact in my life. And I would say, to a lot of other friends that I know in Haiti that's making a big impact in their lives as well. That's awesome. That's so cool because, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to see the impact that you're making, uh, through, you know, that, that Christ is making through you. Cause that's really what it is. But, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to see that, especially, you know, when you, when you go back and you're only there a couple of weeks and then you come back. And so it's great that, that, that was something that, that uh, manifested itself by you being able to become a pastor through that. So that's awesome. Um, so how did you, 
well, I, let me start with this. What um, what was it like growing up in Haiti for you? What was what was that? What was that like? Well, I would say in a nutshell, um, it's very hard, um, difficult, and with the poverty and where I would say when I was 10 years old, I mean, ended up moving to the orphanage. I mean, mostly my parents were poor and they wanted me to have a better education. So I think that's one thing, you know, in Haiti and with Pastor Sabian orphanage where um, parents don't have to be, you know, like their kids don't have to be, you know, passed away. So mm-hmm. if you have a single parent or still have two parents, they could still take the kids and to help them. So, I would say it was tough because I remember this time in my life where um, back at Leogan, I remember as a kid, I loved to hike. Mm-hmm. And many times I will hike on those mountains. And at that time, I would say I did not have a good grasp or a concept about Christ, who he is. But it seems like there was something in my heart telling me there's something bigger. Because I'll be on top of those mountains and just thinking, what's beyond? What's out there? The sky, you know, just thinking is there a God asking those questions? Um, so I think, you know, just that connections coming in, helping me going at in the orphanage and in meet Pastor Mitch kind of bring everything to a conclusion. And Wow, that's, uh, yeah, and, and that there are a lot of orphanages that have, um, the, you know, orphans of poverty, and that's kind of what, what you're kind of referring to because you had a parent or parents, but they just couldn't, take care of you and 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 that's uh that's pretty common in a lot of um you know places that are that are full of poverty that that becomes an issue um so you obviously you know you you mentioned that you were you were thinking that there was something else out there um how did you end up coming to coming to your faith in christ like what what was that kind of that moment like like where how old were you where was what was going on with that um so this has happened a little bit later in life. Okay. Um, so I would say, uh, like I was asking those questions probably around nine, eight, or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I moved at the orphanage, um, with the orphanage there was two missionaries, Kathy and Alice, and teaching us about the Bible. So I started understanding what's you know who Christ is, and so I ended up coming to Christ later when I was seventeen. Okay. Um, so I remember a pastor was preaching about Ephesians 2 at 9, you know, when he talked about uh, salvation, you know, through grace alone. So it kind of made me understanding that something that I need to do personally and not like because my dad was a Christian mm-hmm. that I just have a free pass or a ticket, but I need to make that personal decision. So I remember I went in the front and asking the pastor to pray for me. Wow, that's great. Um, that's so cool that that, that's something that, that, uh, you know, you could, you could come to after getting that training and getting that, you know, hearing from those, those people that were taking care of you. And then, um, it's just, it's, uh, it's encouraging that that sort of thing is out there that, you know, even though, um, you might not have, uh, a family that, that, uh, was kind of leading you on that path. There were other people there. Christ provided other people to lead you there. That's awesome. Um, you said pastor Mitch, uh, he, he brought you here. You guys had talked about that and he brought you to, to Camino chapel, uh, or, or to the Stanwood Camino area. And then you went to Montana Bible college. Um, 
can you just tell us a little bit more about how that happened at all? Um, well, I would say it was a, it was a God process okay. because um, when I was in Haiti and um, I went to the embassy uh, three times before I got denied. Oh, wow. Um, so when I graduated from high school and then um, I told them about I want to go to a Bible college and we were looking through the process and then the application and then I went to the embassy and it was very easy. It's like oh. was God provided that way for me that I could come here and study in the state. So, oh, very cool. So that was a, um, yeah, like it didn't work out until it needed to, I guess, until you'd made that decision. That's that's uh, it's funny. That's how God works a lot of times. So that's yeah. great. He had wanted to come to America to study business as a younger person. But as he continued to translate for the teams that were coming down, he was sharing the gospel, translating Mm -hmm. what Pastor Mitch was saying. And as he did that over and over again, he realized that's what he wanted to do with his life. And then when he went to the embassy that final time to become a pastor instead of the school for business, Mm -hmm. that was when... It went through. It's such a God thing. Yeah, that's it's so great when you can see those things, when you can... And you can kind of look back and see his hand and go, okay, well, this wasn't going to work. This is work. Oh, when I made my decision to, to do something uh, for you, then, then obviously the door opened. That's awesome. Um, you talked about, uh, you know, going to Montana Bible College. It's a big change to go to Montana from, from Haiti. <laughs> was it a little, little cold there for you? What was that? What was oh, of like? course, of course. Um, it was a shock. Yeah. Uh, definitely, because um, I remember I got here in the spring. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I went to NBC, so my first roommate, kind of a native from Montana, and okay. he's like really bulky guy, mm-hmm. and he loved the cold. And at that time, <laughs> it was negative 30. And my roommate would have a fan going on, and he would have the fan and open the window, and I'll come at night. And I'll try to close the door and quickly get under the sheet and trying to warm up because I knew as soon as he came in the room, he's going to open them again. So it was a very tough first year for me. I bet, I bet man. I I, uh, I can only imagine, man. I don't even like it when it gets cold here. And it's nothing like minus 30. You know, it gets to 30. Actually, I don't mind it. But, uh, but yeah, sleeping in that cold has got to be rough. Um, that's awesome. Um so you guys, Matt got married, and then how the heck did you guys decide that, you know what, let's go back to Haiti and start a ministry there? Like, what, what was the thought process like? Um, how has that kind of um, manifested itself? What does it look like? Well, um, growing up, actually around um, the time I started middle school, I felt that I was going to be in foreign missions. Okay. I really felt that. Um, and all growing up, I just kind of planned that way. At first, I actually didn't want to. I was a dramatic little kid, and I cried like, "Why, Lord?" <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> um, but it's that thought and that intention kind of stayed. So when I met Selim and we started uh, getting better acquainted, started dating. <laughs> um, I knew that he wanted to return to Haiti. That he had come here with the intention of studying to be a pastor than going back and teaching others and starting a church. So 
I would just say it was something that was kind of part of the package. If I was going to marry him, then I was going to go and do this with him. Now, together, I guess our we started, once we were engaged, we started setting goals and making plans. Um, but we both felt that this is what we were going to do. Okay, right on. Um, so tell us what you guys kind of do you know, when you're, when you're back, cause you guys have been, been back in the States for a little bit, um, you know, and, and a couple things have kind of, um, paused your, your heading back to, to Haiti, a couple different things that have happened, but, um, you guys are getting ready to head back there again. Um, what's daily life like for you guys? What does it, what does it look like kind of day to day? Well, uh, for Selim, he up until recently was doing a lot of demographic surveys. It had been about five years, maybe six years since he'd lived in Haiti. And so he really wanted to get to know different communities and try to find out where is there a great need for a church? Okay. There are a number of communities because Capation is the second largest city in Haiti. In Capation proper, there are quite a lot of churches good, bad, (laughs) just churches. Um, And then we started looking in like the villages surrounding. So he would take a friend and he'd hop on a moto and he'd go out into a community and start talking with elderly people, young people, just say, hey, what's this community? How long have you lived here? What's good about this community? What do you guys lack in this community? Um, And he just did it prayerfully. He started actually making a map a hand-drawn map of the area (laughs) because there's all these little communities just tucked back in different places that you just have to learn about. So that was a lot of what he did. Now we did end up finding the community that we think the Lord has called us to. We bought a piece of land. So Selim's day-to-day life is going to change a lot revolving around starting to outreach in that specific community. Um, For me... Boy, life in Haiti, I thought that being a missionary would be going out there and um, getting to know different women, and I'm a registered nurse by trade, and so I thought I'd be doing a lot of medical care, a lot of like lay midwifery um, services, but man, somebody's got to make the food, and it it takes like a long time to cook on charcoal. Yeah, oh (laughs) jeez. So when I went to Haiti, that was a large adjustment, was that I became a lot more a little domestic housewife than I was used to because we're hand-washing clothes, and we've got a house that was filled with, you know, cockroaches and tarantulas, and there were centipedes as big as my hand, and (laughs) (laughs) um, we had to clean up and kind of make it a home, and our son was really sick when we first went down there, so my day-to-day looked a lot like getting up, light the fire for charcoal and make breakfast. And then by the time breakfast is done, then I'm doing dishes and then I'm making lunch because it takes hours to cook. And then I'm trying to wash things. Um, that's adjusted over time as we've a huge blessing. See them, um, convinced me (laughs) that we could use a propane stove because I was like if the women in Haiti cook over charcoal I can cook over charcoal (laughs) and then I realized that I was doing nothing but cooking over charcoal and I was like well all right (laughs) so that was revolutionary and I've been able to get to know more people spend more time in our community with the neighbors and um and then as things became a little more simplified I did start Twice a week working at a local hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, six out, just six hour shifts because I'm mostly um, a 
stay at home, you know, to be a mama mm-hmm. for Rocky and things. But uh, I work in the labor and delivery oh, okay. unit okay. there at the hospital. So that's been a really great way that the Lord has grown my heart for the people in the community where we live. And also it's helped me immensely to learn the language because okay. nobody speaks English. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to ask about, about that, that it's hard when you don't speak the language to make those connections. And so that's been mm-hmm. a good thing that you were able to, to take care of that. And I imagine the propane stove probably makes life a little bit easier, huh? <laughs> yeah. but, but, I love it. <laughs> but the charcoal flavor, Selim, that's, that's where the good stuff is, right? The, your hamburger made with charcoal. Come on, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you put your church together and you start, you start, well, I'm sure you're already discipling people and things like that of this nature now, but um, what are some of the things that you run up against when you're trying to get people to um, truly see, like you said, saved by grace, um, you know, that relationship with Christ? What are some of the, the, the barriers that you run into uh, with the people there? Um, I think the barrier, which is a big problem in the church in Haiti in general, is that... Um, I think the people don't really have a good grasp of who Jesus is, the understanding that you cannot um, have Jesus like in a room. Um, so what's the white word I would say? Come, uh, It's a funny word sometimes, hard for me to say, but it's like Jesus in this little box here. Okay. And then next day they have another box for this type of behavior. Okay. Compartmentalized. Compartmentalized. Yeah. yeah there so you go. Here's the there word. You go. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, so with that, so you would find someone, you know, that's really zealous on Sunday, but the next day he has no problem, you know, having two girlfriends and then mm-hmm. um, he's doing something in the street that's very, you know, not pictures like a Christ-like. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest problem. Okay. But I think, um, you know, and plus no discipleship in all most of the churches in Haiti because it's mostly like on Sunday we come program, preach, and that's it. But that relationship where you find someone, you can just talk with them. Like right now, I would say to just add to the daily life in Haiti. So I started a Bible study and okay. then I started discipling two young men. So it was very interesting, you know, that personally just sit with them and talk and then for them start opening you know, talking and really enjoy that. So that's one thing they don't have in the church. Most pastors, they just more focus about preaching and that's it. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's good to know. And that's, it's good that you can see what's needed and, and that's needed. I mean, obviously that, that sort of thing is needed everywhere, but um, to have someone who's uh, kind of, that, that's from Haiti, ha- being able to disciple those kids is, is great. Go ahead, Harley, you did something you wanted to add? Yeah, another barrier to kind of growing the church in Haiti, um, true uh, Christ-following believers, Mm -hmm. um, is that voodoo is by nature a syncretic religion. It's like an amalgamation of Roman Catholicism Mm -hmm. and uh, Native African religions that Mm -hmm. focus around spirit worship. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Because of this welding, people that practice voodoo are still familiar with the terms like God and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, these rituals sometimes will be performed in the context of a traditional Catholic holiday, but then there will be sacrifices and things that I don't need to go into at, um, at this time, <laughs> yeah. but different classic things associated with voodoo. 
So actually in the street, you can hear people say, bon dieu bon. So that's, God is good. And I'll say, well, yeah, but there's no differentiation of the God of the Bible and the God of voodoo. It's bon dieu. Okay. And okay. we know as Christ followers that it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Especially yeah. as you get to know voodoo more, it's, um, it's just very much uh, not not the God we serve. So that's a barrier also is that surface level, a lot of people will be quick to agree with you if you say um, Jesus saves or you say God is good. Um, but when you get deeper, a yeah. lot of people, the vast majority of the country are involved in one level or another in voodoo, whether they're in church on Sunday or not. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I had heard. I mean, yeah. obviously I'm not, I'm not there, but that's some of the stuff that I'd kind of researched and, and, and read about that, that, yeah, it's, uh, people th- believe that they are, you know, following Christ or, or, or just that they're saved based on, on just that idea that, oh, I know, I know who Jesus is. I know who God is, but mm-hmm. they, it's, it's not, it's not that the, the right relationship. It's not a, based on, on the scriptures. It's not based on in, anything like that. And so, I was wondering if that's what you guys had seen as well. So absolutely. Um, so just tell me, so, you know, what have you guys, how have you guys seen God working through your ministry? What are some stories that you guys have of some ways that he's, he's kind of been working in your life. So either one of you go ahead and hop in there. Okay. Um, I would say probably the first story is like when we were in Haiti, went back and then I started doing those demographic survey and um, asking questions. And then there was a few guys who was like, um, you need to go to Brauge and I think they need a church. And and I went and talked to a different guy and then they said the same thing. And while I was looking to different communities that like have so many churches. Mm-hmm. And actually when I went to Braouge and Loken and there was only one church there in like in a apostolic church. Okay. And so I was like, well, I don't know if that's where God really wants us to be. So I was just praying and then I talked to a different guy and like he's like, I know the perfect place. And then he took me there, and then exactly I get there. The community did not have any churches. And okay. I talked to an elder person, and he was like, he has to probably drive three hours to go to find a good church. Oh, okay. And then there's another young man I was talking to. He's like, man, there's no churches, nothing, no school, no medicals, anything. So he's just, I don't know why nothing come in on our way. And I was just thinking... And then there was like with one, two and a half acres. So we pray about it and we felt like that's where God really want us to be. And I felt like that's what God worked in bringing that young man to help us find that piece of land. Okay. Wow. That's great. So, so God provided for you and that's, um, and, and, uh. He just kind of kept pointing you in that direction. Sounds yeah. like right. That was yeah. the same place that they were telling you about, correct? That, uh, closer, okay. closer, because it's like from Brauge, it's like another one to two miles, okay. a little further. Okay, okay. Yeah, we had looked and looked and looked in Brauge, and we kept feeling like, ah, oh, I feel like this should be the place, but we aren't fine. But it's not working out. And then just a little further, okay. the next okay. community out into the countryside. Okay, that's where we. Okay, found. so is it? Um, this place that you guys have, have purchased and, and the land, um, you say it's countryside. So it's, it's pretty, um, it's, it's not, 
how far is it away from the bigger areas? Um, I would say from where we live in Bracaima, it's like 30 minutes away. Okay. Okay. And so it's, I would say it's in between, like if you're going through Plendino, so it's like you pass Plendino and then in, it's in between from Plendino and Milo. Okay. Which Milo, when you go a little further, that's where we have the Citadel. Okay. And that piece of land, it's kind of just right underneath of Citadel. So you can be on it and you're looking at those historic buildings oh, up there. Oh, okay. Oh, very nice. Very nice. That's great. One huge thing was we were not down there very long. Um, when we first went down, we kind of ran into a number of obstacles. <clears throat> Nothing like some missionaries face, but when we went down there, Selim had stockpiled some gas so that we would be okay to drive and get food and get essentials when we got there. And a buddy of his had used it in oh, his absence. That was nice of him. Okay. Um, and then there was no gas available and there were riots oh, going on. So okay. it was quite difficult to get food. I lost like a lot of weight and um, it was difficult to get food. And then our water pump broke. So we were unable to, even though we had like just the littlest bit of gas to run the generator to pump the water, it broke. And so we just prayed. We were like, God, I don't know. We need water. We had drinking water at the house. We had some jugs of fat. We were pretty well stocked. But um, for dishes and for food, well, I mean, for food because we boil it or for um, washing clothes. And we just prayed. And, you know, for the first time since we'd been in the country, it rained and it rained and it rained. And so we just ran outside and put every single container we could find outside. (laughs) And they filled these huge, like, gallon buckets and these tubs, they call them cuvettes that we use for washing clothes, just all these things we shoved outside. And then right when the water, when we were about, had used up all that water, the pump still wasn't fixed. And we prayed about it again, and it poured again (laughs) all night long. (laughs) And then we had water again. And then by the time the water was gone, our pump was fixed, and we had water. I love it. Yeah, so we were still able to bathe and wash clothes and, um, you know, use water for cooking without worrying too much about running out of drinking water while we didn't have much gas. And And use water to flush the toilet. To flush the toilets. Our house does have toilets. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. That's good. So (laughs) now, Western style or? Yeah, actually. We didn't know that before we got into the country. We kind of rented it sight unseen, but huzzah, toilet. Hey, there you go. (laughs) That's that's the creature comforts. I like it. Tell me this. So when, when Rocky and you guys go back, um, he's kind of getting to that age where he's like moving around a little bit. I saw him dancing mm-hmm. in church the other day. He was, he was dancing to the beat. Um, <laughs> is that going to be a little bit of a, uh, of an adjustment? Cause you know, now that he's, he's kind of scooting around pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That'll be very different. So, um, outside it's very common in Haiti that garbage is just kind of thrown, mm-hmm onto the ground. And I do think that will be quite an obstacle because the boy loves everything on the ground. And now he's just running, climbing. So um, that'll be an adjustment for him. The place we're renting, there's other homes all around it. And so we can't really regulate too well what gets put on the ground. And I mean, when we left, there was rusty barbed wire in the yard and there was all these um, other things, garbage, you know, um, so that's going to be an adjustment is okay. that he's not going to be able to just play with those. Um, also 
I mean, I am concerned about the insect situation. I've gotten to where I'm getting a little better. I'm a little more chill about the cockroaches because it's hard. It's hard to beat them when when they're just part of life down there. You know, if if every home is trying to eradicate them, not a big deal. But when you're the only home trying to eradicate them, it's um, it's a tough battle. So, um, yeah, I'm concerned because uh, he really likes little things that move. And we've had three tarantulas in our house. One of them is the biggest spider I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. And I've held tarantulas. And this one was like the the grandmother. And it scared me so bad. (laughs) So that'll be a bit of an adjustment for sure. Because, well, I don't know. But you know what? Haitian kids make it through that. So I was going to say, Selim, this is all pretty normal for you, right? Like that stuff was... Kind of what you grew up with, right? Yes. So it's pretty normal. But um, I think there's we probably have to adjust because, um, you know, with him mm-hmm. and he could get sick from him. So we would have to try. But yeah. um, it's going to be a little challenge. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, you guys have been back here a little bit longer than what you had initially uh, anticipated for your, you guys heading back to Haiti. But when I say back here, I mean back uh, in the States. Kind of what 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 led to that um, bigger stretch of being back here? What what happened in Haiti that was kind of paused you guys from heading back? Well, um, just to start with the story. So when we were in Haiti, we were uh, planning to be there for a full year, even before even thinking about coming back. Mm-hmm. And since I was a resident in the states, so and I, so. I, I was just down there. And then one of my friends actually went through the process. Mm-hmm. And after the seven-month mark, and he was telling us, I think you need to be back in the States. So we checked with the lawyer, and then she's like, yeah, I think we need to come back. So we ended up, came back. And so I, we wouldn't lose the green card. Correct. Lose the yeah. green card. Yeah. And then, so while we were here, so we ended up wanted to connect with our you know churches and partnering with us. And we went to Montana, and then when we come back, we were planning to buy our plane tickets, and then I got a notice on the mail that said uh, the government scheduled me a uh, citizenship interview. So yeah. with that, so kind of ended up having us uh, staying a little bit longer. Um, so with God, mercy and grace and provide, he provide that citizenship, which is such a, a blessing, which is, I would say, on the way coming back, the story that actually showing that God is providing and God was in it is that when we were to the immigration, so we were coming, we were mm-hmm. past that time because you're supposed to be six months and come back every uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. And we were there seven months. So on the way back, as we were standing and there was two officers questioning people mm-hmm. and there was a first lady in front of us. And she went, and I don't know what happened, but all I heard was the officer was really hitting, you know, like really yelling, say, mm-hmm. it's your fault. You dropped the ball. You knew not supposed to be. Oh, wow. So, and I'm thinking, okay, now <laughs> I passed the seven-month <laughs> mark. And then when I went to the next officer and, and was talking, and he was actually updated and know all what was going in Haiti with the assassination of the president, the earthquake, mm-hmm. and then... He starts speaking Creole, and then mm-hmm. he's like, you guys from Haiti, and you guys coming back. And then he's like, put the stamp on, and it's like, um, have a good day. Oh. Uh, bon journée. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was a God thing, you yeah. know, that 
he knows what's going on and he did not like punish us for being there too long but yeah. he just provide the entry for us wow see that's that's so it's so amazing to see how god works and then congratulations on citizenship what oh, an awesome uh, what an awesome uh, thing for you to be able to achieve and 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 to to earn and and uh, you know uh, that if you hadn't come back at that time, you probably wouldn't have been able to, to do any of this. Is that correct? I mean, am I am I understanding that right? The, yeah. If I were to lo- if ahead. I were to lose that citizenship, so I won't be able to come back. I would have to start the process again because being a resident in the state, every six months we had to yeah. be back. Yeah. So now with the citizenship so we could be overseas as long as we want. We don't have to do that back and forth all the time. Yeah, and you both have U.S. passports, which which makes a difference, right? If something yes. happens, you know, having that the the U.S. embassy on your side is is a positive. So um, that's great. Um, you know, I've just I've loved getting to sit here and uh, and talk to you guys. Um, do you guys have anything else that you wanted to share with us before? Um, I kind of give you the last question on the list here. Well, I did have uh, one thing I figured I'd go ahead and share. Please do. Here at Camino Chapel, uh, Jake has preached the last few weeks, and what mm-hmm. a pleasure that is. Yeah, he's fun. He's a <laughs> yeah. lot of fun to listen to. Yep. <laughs> but he's been preaching on Isaiah, and man, w- to us, that passage, that same passage in Isaiah, um, takes on just a little bit of a different meaning in light of the past um months and months that we've been in Haiti um in Isaiah let's see here six um Isaiah six uh five so Isaiah is before the Lord God he's um in a vision he's seen the Lord God and he says woe is me I for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts He's just crying out because he realized how unworthy he is. Mm-hmm. It's not him even specifically. I, I think every one of us would have to say that. Woe is me because we're not perfect. No. We're not. And God is. <laughs> but then just two verses later. So then the Lord took away his iniquity in mm-hmm. that next moment. And, he, you know, he could um, kind of forgave those sins. And then moving forward, God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And that just just is so encouraging as a Christ follower in general, general, but also as a missionary in Haiti because Isaiah in one moment said, I am unworthy. I am filth is what he's saying. And then in the next moment, God calls and he says, here I am. And that should be our responses to God in our lives is we should like in going to Haiti, trying to acclimate to a new culture, learn the language, um, reach out to these women and make connections is something that I don't really feel the best equipped for. Mm-hmm. I think there would probably be somebody a lot better for that job, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> especially with some of the obstacles we face. And I don't always have the best attitude, but you know, to be available when God calls and say, here I am, you know, you, in life, there are times when you see a need, you don't feel equipped, you don't know how to fix it, how to help, but you can tell that something needs to be done here and that the Lord's calling and you can just say, here I am. 
And that's all that God requires. Now, I'm not negating the importance of preparing. I'm not negating (laughs) um, being wise, (laughs) learning, you know, um, becoming equipped. That's huge. I think missionaries can do a lot of harm by just, you know, showing up and going to work at times. Mm -hmm. That's not always the wisest, but it's just such an encouragement to know that God really does the work. Yeah. And by the, you know, kind of like along what you were saying, the, the, uh, he can use anyone regardless of, of, you know, how you're feeling about the situation. If you, you don't feel worthy or yeah. ready, <laughs> sometimes you just take that first step and then he'll take care of the rest along the way and, and equip you as you go. Absolutely. Um, so that, that's, that's a great, great, uh, analogy there. That's awesome. And, and, uh, great metaphor for what you guys are doing. That's, that's so good. Um, so my last question for all our guests, and it's the question we all ask, what is your hope? What is your hope? Well, praise, praise be to God that that's an easy answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. My hope is in Jesus Christ. There's just, I mean, you can take that question to so many different levels, Mm -hmm. say, oh, my hope is that we can make a difference in Haiti. My hope is that I can raise my son well. My hope is that I can be um, a God-fearing wife. But no, our, my hope is in Christ Jesus alone because to put my hope in anything else is to set up for disappointment. Only only God knows where my life's going to go, what's going to happen. Um, but he's capable and he's good. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Selim, what do you got? Well, I think she's right on because um, there's nothing in this world ever that if we were to put our hopes on that, we're not going to be disappointed. But it's only in Christ Jesus when we put our hope on trust in him that we'll never, ever disappointed. And I would say my hope is in Christ Jesus Christ. I love it. Um, well, thank you guys for being here. I have enjoyed getting to, to hear your guys' story. I'm excited. Um to get updates and, and see, um, what you guys, uh, can accomplish as you, as you put this, this church together and you plant this church and you disciple these, these young men and and women. And, um, I'm just so thankful that you guys are willing to go back, uh, to a place that so desperately needs it. I mean, everywhere needs it, but, but Haiti is a a special place in your heart, Selim, obviously. And, and, uh, so thank you guys. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to, that you guys were willing to help so one last thing um i don't know if it's appropriate to ask on here but if any listeners want to be in prayer for haiti i know they just had a number of earthquakes um i heard about it this morning okay the area of lakai that was just hit by an earthquake so badly um right nearby there there's been another series of earthquakes i don't know what the extent is and that's not where we're located but um it'd be a place to be in prayer for. Okay. And uh, yes. And, and, uh, thank you for bringing that up. And, and so, yeah. So if you guys are out there and, and would like to be in prayer, uh, there's a, there's a need. And then also if you just want to be in a prayer for Selim and Harley and Rocky as they head back and, and that they have safe travels and, and, uh, and, and are safe once they get there. So thanks again for being here. And we look forward to hearing more about your guys's uh, story as it, as it unfolds. So thanks so much. Take thank care. Thank you, John. I'm so thankful for Harley and Selam to be willing to follow the call in their lives to take the good news to Haiti. 
If you're interested in supporting the Soup Prince work in Haiti, we've included a link to the missions page on our website, CaminoChapel.org. Hey, we'll see you in two weeks for another great story. And until then, be encouraged, my friends. God is at work in our world. Let's be watching and ready for moments to share the hope we have in Jesus with those that need.